So today we are talking about Bible 101. Um, and this is going to be a fun topic for you guys being uh, some of y'all first year Bible college students um, and uh, other of y'all. Uh, what year are you in Bible? This is my last semester. <gasps> oh my gosh. How terrifying. Wow. Well, you're doing a great job. And Yaritza, it, you'll, you have how much left? Two years? Three years? Two years. Um, and so Lauren told me today, like, oh, yeah, yeah, these is going to bring all the Bible college students to the Bible study. I was like, what the freak? Like, that's a lot of pressure. They're going to know if I'm lying or not. Um, and so today we're just talking specifically about Bible 101. Um, and I'm going to give you all to the way that these Bible studies um, are designed to be is um, is to be it is not like a preaching uh scenario this is more of a a conversational teaching moment and so we want it to be um we want it to be to where it's engaging to where you can ask questions you can you can share your opinions and thoughts this is like a life group kind of environment to where we just openly talk with one another um and so uh last last bible study we had we talked about denominations before that we we started off this whole thing about like hermeneutics state laws of hermeneutics and exegesis and so we kind of already went over the interpretation of scripture and how that's done now we're going to go through like the actual skeleton of the bible you guys ready and uh and to prepare for this moment i practiced for years on having a monotone voice so (laughs) that way it's uh perfect for teaching um, I wanted to start off with uh, some scriptures, just as a tone uh, for us to understand. Um, in Second Timothy three sixteen through seventeen, Paul says all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. Another verse in, another verse in uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, says, For the, the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between our soul and spirit, between our joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And what's so powerful about these specific scriptures on the Bible itself is, one, the, the first one in Second Timothy is a very practical analyzation of what Scripture is. It's, it makes no mistake in saying that all Scripture is inspired by God, not handwritten by God. People have, uh, I don't know why people are like, well, the Bible wasn't written by God. It's like, when did we ever say that? <laughs> like, it was inspired by God. And it gives like practical tones that God uses it to teach and equip his people. And it's all for like the practical sense. And then we look at Hebrews, and it gives a very spiritual understanding of what the Word of God is. It is, it is a sharp sword that cuts between our souls and our spirits. It, it gives like this connotation to what, how powerful and spiritual the Word of God is. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And so um, now going into, with that as a base tone, um, let's talk about the Bible. Um, the word Bible is actually from the Greek word ta biblia, um, which means the scrolls or the books. And this is actually kind of funny because the word is derived from the ancient city of Byblos, 
which was the official supplier of paper products of uh, to the ancient world. And so um, it's kind of just like fun, funny historical moment that um, so many times we just hear a Greek or he- uh, Hebrew word and we're like, oh my gosh, that sounds so like reverent. And it's like, that was a paper supply company at the time. Um, and so going into some, I wanted to share some really uh, interesting facts about the Bible for us to discuss. Um, first, just getting started, the Bible's a compilation of 66 books from about 40 different authors. 66 books from about 40 different authors was kind of just a fun note for, uh, um, for us to know that this is a spiritual compilation of books that's prophetic is the book of Isaiah is one of the most prophetic books in the Bible, all, um, all talking about Jesus, all about the Messiah coming to us. And it's known as just being one of the most prophetic books. And it, it's noted that it, the Isaiah has 66 chapters, um, 66 chapters. And then we look at the Bible having 66 books. Um, there's so many like little keys in, throughout the Bible, throughout scriptures, that the more that you learn, the more that you dive in, you realize like almost like these little secret notes that God has left us um, to just confirm how, how true, how genuine, and how powerful his word is. Um, the Old Testament has 929 chapters, while the New Testament has 260. It was written in three languages. Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, and on three continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. And what's, what's even meaningful about this is that it's, it's um, got three is like God's magic number. Um, uh, the Trinity is compiled of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, there's three elements in the earth. When, uh, uh, three elements. Three, three types of matter. In, in the world, gas, liquid, and solid. Um, it's like God consistently leaves this number three as his fingerprint on his design. And it's just so, it's just so cool when you get to see little things like that. And then, uh, I want you to give me right with, or like write down notes. Yeah, not everyone has to write down notes, know, right? I'm just wondering. Yeah. Um, that was really sweet of you, Tamara. Thanks for offering. Um, and on three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. And uh, as you guys know, if you know anything about the world, that those are some of the, those are pretty much the most major continents in the world. So it wasn't just one little city that made up all these random things. That you're seeing this spread out across um, so, so much terrain, so much geography. Um, And while it took over a thousand years to write the Old Testament, the New Testament was written within a 50 to 75 year period. We can date all the way back to 1400 BC to about 100 AD. And we look through over 40 generations of of people. Um, And uh, and even what's so significant about it being so um, the Dating back so far, I mean, when uh, y'all know the scripture where Jesus uh, says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, he's actually quoting Psalm 22. And in that Psalm, it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? They've pierced my hands and my feet. 
my tongue clings to the roof of my mouth. My, my skin feels like dry baked clay. And it's literally describing a crucifixion. It's specifically saying they pierced my hands and my feet. And that was written by David over a thousand years before the, the form of crucifixion was ever invented. And so you see how prophetic the word of God is pointing to Jesus in so many prophetic ways before anything was ever invented uh, before its time. It's showing how powerful prophecy is. Um, and what's, what's so significant about having 66 books written with over 40 different authors is with over 40 different authors, you, see, you don't see the Bible contradict itself. It is so streamlined and pointing in, in this, this same direction. And um, I don't know, like just about the, the time frame, it being such a, a length of time, uh, a length of time that is dispatched thousands of years, and yet the, the, the promises and the tones are consistent all the way through. And even just in modern day history, we see, uh, even just look at our constitution and how just in the span of about 200 years, there's so many different understandings of what certain words and, and laws mean just in our constitution. And, and that's just over 200 years. And we, it's such fresh documents. And yet here in the word, we're, we're seeing thousands of years old manuscripts we see the tone so consistent all the way through to where even the biggest differences between manuscripts is less than 10%. Isn't that a powerful thing to know? Anything that you guys think is meaningful so far learning about the Bible? These fun facts. Just soaking it all in because it's such anointed information. Over the summer, um, during like my first month home, uh, I had the opportunity to give a Sunday school class for like three weeks at my church. And a lot of the information here, I remember studying it in the, the what's it called, the little curriculum thing that they use. Mm-hmm. And I just like, I remember when I was studying it and like right now, as you, you know, read these things to us, I was reminded of like just how like, oh God, it's just so, like, like, over so many years and throughout history, you know, as we know, um, emperors try to get rid of the Bible. They try to burn the Bible. Yeah. And, and I think it's just so cool how the Word of God and how God preserved His Word for us to have what we have today. Yeah. And I, I just think the Bible is so cool. So I'm really excited that we're talking about all of this. Yeah. It's powerful stuff. And it, it has definitely been attacked. It's definitely been uh, so many empires trying to destroy it. Um, Anyone else have something that they want to share? Another interesting note, um, and we're going to get into some more details about this in a minute, but like the first five books of uh, the Bible were written by Moses. And so Genesis is written by Moses, a man that was not born at that time. And when you, uh, at first glance, it's like, well, how does he know, you know, this, this lineage? How does he know this beginning? And it's hard for us to comprehend that. One, because our families are nothing like the families of that day. And we have, we have no idea of, we have no uh, even perspective of what kind of reliance on stories and history that they had. 
But the way that uh, his uh, history was at that time is that story was told from generation to generation, especially in the Jewish culture, uh, specifically at that time, they would, they would share their lineage on a regular basis. Like their, their children, their stories were not Hansel and Gretel or, you know, random made up stories. It was their history from beginning to end. And when you look at the, the age gaps, well, uh, when you actually look at what the Bible records as ages, Adam lived in his 900, over 900 years. His, uh, his children lived 900 years plus. And you see it after the flood that that age dramatically um, starts to go down to where no one starts living past 120. But when you, when you realize that Adam was alive for his great, 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 great grandkids, and so he was the one being able to make that, that the story of creation so clear to where um, I'm, I'm a little, you know, uh, fuzzy on how far, how many generations it was. But it was only like um, about five or so generations. Um, don't quote me, okay? But it was only about like five or so generations that there was a gap between the death of the person who was told by Adam. And so you're talking about, you know, uh, people that were memorizing their lineage for only five generations, five, that means Moses' great-great-great-grandfather, you know, that's how close it was. And so it wasn't like, oh, man, how, how would we even know? This is a very close gap because of how different the ages were. Y'all dig what I'm saying and all that? Um, and so uh, moving on to some more information. The first book printed in the U.S. was actually the book of Psalms. Um, those of y'all who know the U.S. history, we were Protestant Christians uh, looking for uh, freedom for our faith. And the very first book ever printed in the U.S. was the book of Psalms. Um, the first Bible printed in the U.S. was actually in an Indian language in 1663. So the very first Bible ever printed was not in an English translation, but in a Native American translation. And um, so, many, so often, um, modern-day history tries to corrupt uh, pure history that was actually there. And you see even the intention of, uh, of so many of so many Protestant Christians was not to rape and pillage these Indians and steal land, but that there was a true heart to show them this amazing creator that they wanted, that, um, uh, that they could know. Some more information is that the full Bible was, has been translated into over 532 languages and has been partially translated into 2,883 languages. And that number continues to grow. A very another fun, like interesting note about the Bible is that even though it uh, has been widely banned in China, China is actually the number one printer and producer of the Bible. So everything officially comes from China, <laughs> even things that they don't believe in, <laughs> even things that the government suppresses. Um, William Tyndale, if you've ever seen some, uh, the back of some Bibles and it has Tyndale, he was actually a person who produced the first printed, edited uh, version of the New Testament in English. And he was burned at the stake for his efforts. Because at the time, the, the Roman Catholic Church, uh, the person before him um, was also immensely persecuted who just translated it. He uh, pr produced the first printed in, uh, 
edition, while the person before him who translated it was in the same way persecuted. He's burned at the stake by, uh, for, for translating it from Latin into English. That's how, that's how much we see the, the word of God being suppressed. And not trying to get into um, the idea of corrupt church and those times, the, the Roman Catholic church at that time, but to see how there is something there that the devil is so vehemently oppressing the, the spreading of faith through the church. And the church is the, is the one attacking others for trying to make the word of God accessible. And now we have people like Greg Groeschel who made the Bible, uh, the, the version Bible app through his church and has produced this, the Bible available to any, almost any individual in the world through their phone. And continuing to grow into to every language possible, to continue to grow to where it's accessible for everyone, the word of God for free. While before, just to translate from Latin to English, someone was burned at the stake. We see how much, uh, how violent, just the way Jesus described, how violent the, de- the enemy is in this world attacking the church. But how even through that, how, how powerful the word of God is to continue to still grow. In the Geneva Bible, if you've ever heard that term before, it is, it is the first Bible to be used in numbers and verses. And so um, it was, I, I don't have the context here, but first it was separated into chapters to be able to um, correlate where, where is what. And then it was separated into verses to be able to choose. And that started with the Geneva Bible. How y'all feel? Y'all feel educated? <laughs> yeah. Yeah? Is this interesting to you guys? Well, he didn't like. He wasn't the developer, but it, he commissioned his team to develop the app. But it's his church, Life Church. Craig Groeschel. It was his heart um, to pr- make the Bible available. And actually, when the App Store for, first opened, when iTunes App Store first opened, um, they were the only Bible app um, amongst only like a hundred apps that were uh, first available in the iTunes Store at the time. And uh, his story is because he was he gave his life to Christ from reading the Bible on his own um, and it coming alive to him. Uh, and he got saved from re- reading the Word of God. And that's why his heart is so like um, inspired to share the Word of God with others. So that's any any thoughts or um ideas about the Bible that you guys want to talk about or maybe even just think is interesting before we go on. Cool stuff, right? I just like, no, like, those are like little facts that most people, including myself, like a lot of them don't know. So yeah. I think it's just cool to just have more understanding and insight on like those simple facts. Yeah. About the Bible, so it's it's just cool. And and one thing I would want to even project, like what Lauren is saying, is some of these facts should make us more emotional about the Word of God. I mean, to even know that someone was burned at the stake just to make the Word of God available to us in English, like just to make, like someone died and gave their life, not just for our faith, but just for the simple fact for us to be able to read the Bible ourselves and it not be dominated by a governmental system. 
I mean, when, when we think of just the apostles being martyred, the disciples being martyred, it's one thing. But to know an, an, like is one individual that was able to make a difference in the world and something that we take for granted so often, someone died for, to put in our hands. That's a meaningful thing to recognize. Don't you guys agree? Yeah. It's um, easy to just like um, hear that and be like, oh, okay. Yeah. But like, honestly, that's crazy. Yeah. So some, some uh, other interesting parts, and I, I wanted to include these because I feel like so often um, when Christians are trying to defend their faith, and we often go to the Bible to defend our faith, and um, with, for, due to just a lack of knowledge sometimes, uh, an atheist or someone attacking your faith would tell you, well, that, you only know the Bible, like the Bible is so flawed, and they... They make these accusations and these claims that they're just making it up. They truly are just making it up, and they just are regurgitating what some other um, critical uh, anti-theologian told them. And so some historical... I wanted to share some historical uh, accuracies of the Bible. So there is actually several secular uh, secular historians. Secular just means non-Christian, worldly, whatever, non-religious... Um, secular historians who wrote about the events of the New Testament at the same time the Bible was being written. So Josephus is most well known of them. He was a Jewish historian, while Tacitus was a Roman historian who would have no benefit from, telling, from not telling the truth. He's a Roman historian who had so many accounts of Jesus, and there's no benefit at all, at all for him to record that. And yet there's these secular people that have this, uh, the same events written down. Both these men, as well as others, can be used to back up the historical accuracy of the Bible. There's also a lot of historical discoveries regularly coming to light that continue to support the accuracy of the Bible. Um, just to name some, Merrill Unger, who compiled a Bible dictionary, wrote, Old Testament archaeology has rediscovered whole nations that we thought were, uh, that we didn't even know about, resurrected important people, and in, most aston- in a most astonishing manner, filled in historical gaps when we had no other pieces of history, adding immeasurably to the knowledge of biblical backgrounds. So you're talking about uh, the Bible talking about a country or a land or a person that we had no other knowledge about. And when archaeologists go to see if it's there, it's there. And the Bible has the only record of it. And so you're talking about that this Bible is, is just such an amazing history book has been proved to be accurate and true over and over. Um, here's another thing, is that we actually have ten, over 10,000 fragments from which we compile and verify the accuracy of the Bible. 10,000 different fragments, manuscripts, uh, scrolls, scriptures that is used to verify the accuracy of the Bible. So it's not just, you know, five guys in a room and, uh, well, we have about 12 pages here that we can compare and hopefully we get it right. You're talking about such a plethora, such an abundance that if one person were to get it wrong, if one group were to get it wrong, that there's hundreds of other uh, people that would be able to look through these 10,000 manuscripts and see that this was inaccurate. And so this isn't a conspiracy that the government has 
tricked us into religion. No, this is such a free market of manuscripts that it's obvious it wasn't preconceived or made up because there's so much of it. Y'all get what I'm saying? And that, and when it comes to accuracy, um, the the teachings, the the writings of Homer and Aristotle's work, some uh, those writers are taught in colleges in our in our school systems. There. Uh, the Bible has thousands more of manuscripts that, than are taught in our school systems. So think about that. Something that is taught is accurate and writings that are taught through Aristotle and writings like Homer. You're talking about manuscripts this big. That's how, that's how much they have. And the Bible goes way past our, a second floor story. You're talking about thousands more. And people say, well, this is valid, but the Bible isn't. It's ridiculous. It just... It's just illogical to make those kinds of accusations. And in all of these manuscripts, fragments, scrolls, and parchments have been checked and double-checked for mismatches. Um, and mo- most are letter turned around, uh, a letter turned around or minor things that do not change the meaning of the story at all. So the only differences that, that are even mainly found are just... Uh, like something like a letter met, uh, messed up, Some, someone's hand cramped up or something. Like nothing that changes the story, nothing that shows a, a story that is different than what's been told. And then finally, historians support parts of the Bible, like really, really big parts. And and um, one uh, a professor of religious studies, um, uh, Bart Ehrman, said we have more evidence for Jesus when he. Uh, than we have for almost anybody from Jesus' time period. And so it's saying that out of all the people in history, we have more evidence and more history, more good history of Jesus from manuscripts than any other person in that time period. So it's like a, someone that would try to make an argument like, well, how do you even know that Jesus existed? It's just a foolish, illogical claim. They just have no idea what they're talking about. Because there's more history, more uh, reports of Jesus, biblical and unbiblical, that, that point to Jesus being alive in that time period and being the person he, that is reflected in the Bible. So it should be, bring so much more strength to our, our faith. Well, how does that make y'all feel? <laughs> That's exciting, right? It, it, it should be something that when you doubt, when you have your doubts like we all do, when you have those thoughts where... Man, God, are you really out there? You can have a, come, a Peter moment where Peter said, when, when Jesus said, are you going to leave too? And Peter was, he was thinking about it. And he was like, man, you just said some crazy stuff. Eat your flesh and drink your blood. Like, I think you might be a psychopath. Like, and, and he just knew how evident Jesus was that he said, well, where else am I going to go? And if, if your faith is ever wavering, you should go back to this kind of history and, and just come back, come to just a simple place in your heart and say, well, God, I am doubtful, but where else am I going to go? Because you are there. You are real. It is so evident. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so let's go into the books. Let's start breaking down the skeleton. We talked about the Bible as a whole. Let's go into some of the, the, the books of the Bible. Any any thoughts, questions before we move on? Comments? 
I'm glad that you guys, uh, these Bible college students came today because, like, when people take notes when I'm talking, I'm just like, wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's cool. Um, and so let's talk about uh, let's talk about the Old Testament and the New Testament. Let's talk about breaking up these books. So an oversimplified idea of the Old Testament is 17 historical books, five poetic books, and 17 um, prophetic books. Now, I'm, what I would want to do is, is break it. That's just a very simplified version, breaking it down to historical, poetic, and prophetic. Um, but to kind of give a little more, um, a little more detail to you guys, which I don't have the screen on the screen is, um, when it comes to, if we were to just label the historical, um, even more, uh, is there's the, the Pentateuch, um, the Pentateuch is the, the first five books of the Bible that were written by Moses. And within those five books is what's referred to as the law. Starting all the way from Genesis, you see the God talking to man, and that's what's created as the law. From the moment of Genesis, where it says, do not eat of this fruit, the law was created. Um, all the way to Leviticus, where you see all the different types of laws that we'll, we, we're going to get into on another, um, on another Bible study day. Um, but everything is in those first five books. Um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And now you have the narrative, or the histo- uh, also known as historical books. These narratives are these accounts of people in history that are, are giving account and narr- almost narrating what's going on. And that's uh, from Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And a lot of this is even like uh, what is going on in Israel um, between the country, uh, the nation, and their God. And we, of course, we reference that for ourselves because we are, God shows us as Christians as a kingdom. Um, and so that's how we're able to look back at that. Um, and then we have the, the wisdom, uh, wisdom literature. The books of wisdom often are Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. And there's a mixture of it being uh, wisdom and poetic. Um, Proverbs is, is a great example of uh, one of the most well-known books of wisdom. And uh, what, if you're ever looking for wisdom, there's 31 Proverbs, 31 tra- chapters of Proverbs. And so it's almost like God designed it for us to be able to read a proverb of day um, to keep foolishness at bay. Mm-hmm. I like that? <laughs> Thank you. That's what I've been trying to wait for. <laughs> yeah, we dig it. And, and now when it comes to the prophets, there's two types of uh, prophets. There's the major prophets and the minor prophets. Uh, Sam, out. <laughs> He acts like he gets his ball stuck, but it's just so that you throw it. Um, And so the major prophets are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. The minor prophets are Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Um, The the major difference is that the major prophets have substantially more content, um, Isaiah having 66 and 
Jonah having four. And, and so there's a huge difference in content in these, uh, the major and mi minor prophets. And, um, and some of them you see a lot more interaction to uh, when it comes to um, warning against uh, captivity, like right around the time of being taken away to Babylon um, and like playing pivotal roles in that. And so now going into the New Testament, any questions about the Old Testament? All right. Now going into the New Testament, the, the four Gospels, um, the, it's the four Gospels known as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The book of Acts being one book. And then you have 21 epistles. These epistles are, are simply letters to either the church of that, that city or to an individual. So a church being like the church of Corinth or an individual like Philemon. Paul wrote a letter to the person Philemon. Um, and then you have uh, epistles that where it's the signature of. For example, First and Second Peter, um, That uh, that's who... It signifies who wrote it. Um, and then, so you have those 21 epistles, and then you have the book of Revelation. Um, you know, going into a more detailed account, uh, the, you have the four Gospels and the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is, is usually known as its separate book. But it's kind of the same thing. The Gospels are the narrative. The book of Acts is a narrative um, describing on what's going on. It's like painting the history of Jesus being there and what the church did right after he rose from the dead. Um, and then there's, there's two kinds of uh, epistles within those 21 epistles. There's the, the, no, what's widely known as the Pauline epistles, where they're the epistles written by Paul. And Paul actually wrote about, um, I think it's about, uh, 70% of the New Testament. He wrote about, uh, he wrote most of the New Testament through these letters to the church. And a lot of which he wrote while he was in prison. Um, and so you see from Romans to Philemon, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, um, you see all of these that Paul wrote to these specific people and to these specific churches. Um, and then you have the general epistles. These are written by multiple people like James, Peter, John, um, etc. And what's included in there is the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews does not, is a, one, of the, one of the books that we don't know who the author is. And there's certain books of the Bible like the book of Job. It's, there's not a, we don't know who the author is. Um, but even... Uh, even looking at the book of Hebrews, what a lot of people believe is that Paul wrote it, but um, because of uh, because of the the fear of Jews at that time, um, catching the the since it was specifically the Jews and Jews so violently attacking the Christians and the believers, some believe that Paul didn't put his signature so that they, they he would assure that they would receive the letter. There's other people that believe that. Um, that it could have been Barnabas or, you know, they, there's a, a couple, just a few people that people, uh, theologians or people who study this um, speculate that it could be. But a lot of people accept the idea of it being Paul because it, 
it talks almost in the same kind of mannerisms. It talks in the same way as the other epistles. Um, and then finally, the book of Revelation, which was written by John. And that is the, that is the, the, the one prophetic book of the New Testament. While the Old Testament has multiple prophetic, book, prophetic books, Revelation is the one. And it's all about the end times, and it's the letters to the churches from Jesus. And um, uh, one, of the most, uh, one of the most feared books of the Bible, even though the very first chapter says, blessed is every person that reads this book. Um, any, any questions or thoughts about, about um, New Testament right here? Y'all still interested, or is this like, all right, this is boring? No, we're just going <coughs> to you. Yeah. Edward, anything? Like whatever, dog. <laughs> and so, tell me if you guys have ever experienced this. You become a Christian, you're learning about the Bible, and you have some person in your life that wants to attack your faith, it says, well, you know that there's books in the Bible that they didn't include in it, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you ever have that happen, right? I had, I had a, my mom, like, she's, I don't know if she'll ever listen to this recording, but <laughs> she can be kind of wild sometimes. And uh, she will randomly say things or do things. One moment she'll be like, I'm proud of you. And the next moment is like, well, you know, Jesus isn't God. Um, <laughs> and, and uh, one, she sent me a, a like this silly book saying like the books that aren't in the Bible. And it's just like this idea to speculate your faith. It's this idea to try to make you question if you're really reading scripture inspired by God or was it altered by man? And that's what that, that idea is like, oh, this isn't genuine. I'm missing something. And what did the devil do to Eve and Adam? He, he just caused her to question a truth that, that they already knew to be true. He just said, did God really say that? Is that really everything he said? You sure? And what is even most uh, profound is that he convinced her saying, if you eat from that fruit, you will be like God. And even like this idea of... of uh, well, there's other books of the Bible that, that aren't in the Bible. It's ideas like, well, if you find those, then you'll find truth. But before we found the, the Bible, and was like, oh my gosh, I found truth. And now the devil comes and says, well, if you listen to these, then you'll find real truth. Tells Eve, well, if you eat from that fruit, then you'll really become like God. But just a couple verses before, we see that Adam and Eve were created in the image of of God. They were already like God. And he convinced them, if you just let that little doubt fester, you'll have what you wanted from the beginning, when they already had it. That's what's so ridiculous about the devil, is he convinces you that you don't have something that you truly have. And so, just to, to end on this idea of the, the books of the Bible, before we get into the last topic of the translations of it, um, the the word Canaan, uh, Canaan is like the, the, um, the, it's the word that comes from the Greek and Hebrew words that literally mean a measuring rod. And so every book that was um, put forth to be a book to go in the Bible went through this canon, this measuring rod. 
and the peop- the church of that time, the elders of that time, as they're trying to compile this, being inspired by God, they had certain measuring rods that they were trying to, so that they could prayerfully and while fasting and in the spirit, determine whether to put these books that are uh, being brought forth to include in the New Testament and in, even in the, the Old Testament, the Torah. And so um, what it is, is it describes the books and, and it, they have to be recognized as scripture. And God's people merely discover the canon, the authority of the books in the Bible is being established by God. And the, the due process that uh, was through divine inspiration as they went through um, these, as they went through human recognition, and the some of some of which these some of these measuring rods was a book had to be uh, be written by a spokesperson for God, a spokesperson for God, and so they had to be a like one they had to be a believer and someone that was known to be a spokesperson by God. And so it couldn't just be a random person that showed up that day and say that God told me this, like Joseph Smith, or, you know, it, it had to be a known spokesperson of God um, who was confirmed by acts of God. And so it had to be evident, just like in those times, I mean, the people were saying, well, could the Messiah do more than heal the blind, let alone raise the dead? It, acts of God were following these people. And... Um, they uh, they had to be people who told the truth. It had to what they were presenting as a book had to be measured to be proved true. Even like the book of Luke, he uh, Luke the doctor when he wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts, he went and interviewed so many people, dozens and dozens of people to get an accurate account of things that so, some of which he wasn't even a part of. Like the book of Luke, he wasn't even there. Uh, for most of the events, but he interviews all the disciples, all Mary, the, uh, all these people to get accurate accounts, and he does, and he does such an amazing job at it that it doesn't even skip a beat when it comes to the other gospels. In fact, it it's known as being one of the longest uh, books of the four gospels because he extensively gets more information as he questions and, and interviews more people. Um, the they have to be people that, um, that who were confirmed by the act of God, by an act of God, told the truth, and in the power of God, and was accepted by the people of God. And they would ask these questions: Are they accepted by the people of the church, or are they rebellious? Are are they? Uh, is it evident that the power of God is within them? You know, do, do they? Is there? Is the Holy Spirit evident in their lives? And. There's, there's so many different um, standards that were put. And, and if a book clearly had the first mark um, of canonicity, was uh, often assumed. Contemporaries of a prophet or apostle made the initial confirmation. So people like Peter, they, they, would, they would be confirmed so quickly. But someone, that, uh, someone else like Luke, he had to actually go through so much more in extensive work to prove it. And you see that in his writings. Later, church fathers sorted out the profusion of religious <laughs> literature to officially recognize what books were divinely inspired in such a manner of which Paul speaks of in 2 Timothy 3.16, which we read at the beginning, like to really be practically put in there. 
Um, like there's one, uh, there's one book, I think it's called, um, I don't remember the, the name of the book, but what it was, was, um, one of the parts of this book that was, uh, someone tried to suggest to be compiled in the Bible showed a depiction of a young Jesus being a boy who took a scoop of dirt and, uh, in front of the other boys in the, the village, it turned into a bird. And it's like, wow, that was a mir- like what a miraculous thing to account of. Why wouldn't they put that in there? Well, they looked at that and said, well, that doesn't really seem like Jesus to desire the attention of others for no reason. And, and so it's like there's such a spiritual canis, uh, canon that they were putting to see is that, well, what, what they're suggesting is that reflect Jesus consistently with what we know him as. And it, that's why it's like you, they weren't willing to put stories like that if they weren't 100% uh, accurate or possible to be true. Did y'all feel that? Yeah. Um, any other thoughts, questions, comments about this, uh, the books of the Bible, before we move on to the translations? Isn't the name of the books that aren't in the Bible called the Apocrypha? I think so. Um, I, I, I'm... Gonna research all that another day, but um, I haven't spent too much time in. Uh, I don't like usually looking into. Um, it's like a saying I have: like I don't really like looking into a lie when I already know the truth. I'd rather just look at the truth over and over to where when a lie is presented, I don't have to examine it because I know the truth. It's like with a. I said last Bible study what bank tellers do. Um, to try to tell whether they have a counterfeit in front of them is they don't study counterfeit money. They study real money so well, true money so well, that as soon as a counterfeit is presented, they know that it doesn't measure up to the real thing. And that's what we do with lie and truth is we don't have to look and study and look up YouTube videos of, is Illuminati a devil or is it real? People waste so much time studying fiction or or, uh, demonic activity when they could be studying the power of God. Um, it's just looking in the dark to try to fun, find something that's real when God has this huge room lit up that we don't want to go into. Any other thoughts, questions before we move on? Now, uh, I'll, as we go into translations, I want to ask, uh, and don't feel shy and, or like th- this isn't a question to be judged or anything, um, but is anyone here in... Uh, uh, King James only believer where you believe that the only way to read the Bible is through the old King James what versions of the Bible do you guys read NLT NLT what about you Sarah NLT I like NLT NIV Edward you, are you an old King James only person no Tamara what version do you read NLT. Okay, cool. Um, so, I just want to make sure because um, there's Lauren. Are you old King James only believer? No. no? Why do you laugh like that? Um, there's there's a movement of people that believe that the old King James version is the only accurate account of of the Bible, and to a point um, when there's different descriptions discrepancies which we'll get to in a minute that they believe that even if the old king james differs from uh older manuscripts they believe that 
well, that was God's editorial that he divinely inspired those who compiled the old King James Version and that their editorial is God-inspired before those who actually wrote what they were translating. Um, And so, honestly, if I could just be frank with you guys, it's like psychotic. It's literally psychotic. Um, And it's, it's just a... To me, it's just a, a false, uh, it's a false truth that people believe that the devil is used to divide the church. And the devil always tries to divide the church. Anything that tries to divide the church is from the enemy. Because God said, you'll be known by the way you love one another. While he said, you, um, Jesus said that um, everyone will be divided against you, even in your own family, mother against father, um, uh, son-in-law against mother-in-law, son against father. Is uh, that's kind of normal, right? <laughs> son-in-law <laughs> against mother-in-law. Um, but uh, it he talks about such a divided how he's come not to bring peace but a sword. Yet he talks of the church of fellow believers to be the most united body in the world. And so again, anything that divides the church, that's from the enemy. But anything that, that like God always unites, uh, unites the church while the enemy divides. And I'm not talking like, you know, about immorality or sin. Like if, like if a pastor is like in an immoral sin and the church wants to, you know, do something about it. It's not like, oh, well, that's dividing the church. Like, no, like he like had a moral failure and needs to be like dealt with. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this, like these arguments of like whether... Uh, it's okay to eat pork or not. That's really what this is about. And Paul says, that's foolishness to get into those arguments. Just be united. Does that make sense to everyone? And so getting to the translations, there's two kinds of translations. Um, our, our baby's name is Jules Mercy. Oh, that's pretty. Um, Jules, like jewelry? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not like the vape. Oh, Jules. <laughs> um, yeah, mercy because God knew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so there's two kinds of translation. There's a formal, uh, there's formal a translation, which is like the uh, formal equivalence, which is a word for word translation. Um, it gives priority to what the original language says and how it says it, and it aims for to be just a, simply a literal translation. And then there's a dynamic equivalence, which is more of a thought-for-thought translation. It gives priority um, to what the text means. It aims to make the text as readable for a modern audience as possible. And so the idea is one is formal word for word, while one is dynamic, being thought for thought. It's equivalent to saying um, the Bible, someone uh, giving a story of the Bible say, and he uh, gave three chickens to marry her, which is a really cheap bride. But um, instead of saying three chickens, it would say he gave $3,000 to marry her. I don't, and again, that's not like accurate <laughs> exchange rate or anything. I'm just, as an example. So, a formal one would use, would say he gave three goats and one cow to buy the property, while the dynamic equivalents would say he gave $12,000 to buy the property. And so it's, it's taking the thought, the essence of what the scripture is saying, and making it understandable for us today. It, it's not changing or warping the scripture. It's just 
it's the idea of making the essence of what it's trying to say understandable to you. And so the extremes of these, um, the extremes of these is I, the most extreme dynamic one that is not unbiblical or like heresy would be the message version. The message version Bible takes like the whole chapter almost. It takes all the scripture and literally um, makes the stories different to where you can, in the message version, you can't just choose one scripture. It'll, instead of scripture one, two, three, and four, it just has a paragraph and at the top it says scriptures one through four. And it, it writes it in such a way that's dynamic to help you understand what it's saying. And um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of people, have, a lot of more so traditional Christians have bashed the message version. And when I first heard of it, you know, from others, it was in a negative connotation. But um, it was, I think, 2017, 2000, it was 2017, I think, um, maybe 2018, where I, I, uh, I do a different translation and version every year. And when I read the message version, it was really inspiring to me. It made me look at certain scriptures in a way that I didn't see before. And it, get, it helped reveal a deeper and clearer essence of Jesus that I did not have prior. And that's what translation's goal is to do. Give you a clear uh, perception, a clear essence, a clear revelation of God through the scripture. That's the heart of it. And Jesus tells us that that's what his goal is. Does he not take over, what, 600 commandments and say, I take all the teachings of the prophets, all the commandments of the law can be summed up into two. There's 600. Uh, there's, I don't remember if it's 300 or 600, but that's, I mean, give me a break. <laughs> but there's hundreds of these laws. And he says, you can just compile it all into two. Even if you were to say all of the Ten Commandments, combine them into two. That's a big jump, right? And he says, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you do these two things, you complete all of the effort of the law and the teachings of the prophets. And so we see that even Jesus paints this picture of showing us the essence of God and what he wants us to do. And trying to make it simple for us. And so our heart, through translation, should not be like, well, that's not the most accurate version. The message is the devil. Well, it's just trying to paint a clear, simple image of what the scripture is saying. And that's not something to be condemned. That's, that's something that we should admire because that's what we try to do to others. If you witness to somebody else, do you just start reading scriptures to them? No, you, you give an account of the story of Jesus in your life to them. Is that not what the message is doing through scripture in a different, in the same way? And so the, the point of what I'm trying to get at as we are about to go into some popular translations is to remember that our heart should not be to, we are not God's hitmen to try to look at any Christian or any organization or any church or any preacher of why they're wrong and why we should kill them. That we should be looking to, to unite as a church and look for, uh, you'd be surprised at the things that you once condemned and see how they actually might be insightful to you now. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And, uh, and so I wanted to just share um, four really popular uh, translations to kind of show you what it looks like when we're trying to decide what translation do I want to read. 
Now, like I told y'all a minute ago, me personally, I, I try to read a different translation every year. And so I started off, the first Bible I ever read was an old King James Version Bible because that was the only Bible I had when I gave my life to Christ. And I actually gave my life to Christ from reading an old King James Version Bible. I started reading it from front to back and around Leviticus. I realized that Jesus died for my sins and that I didn't have to wring a pigeon's neck or tear it in half, but not all the way and go through all these meticulous details to have my sins forgiven, that Jesus was the fulfillment of the law and that I could go to him is the first time I understood it. And it was in the old King James Bible. I hated the way the old King James Bible was written. I, even as I was reading it, as I was getting live, I would pray so hard, like, God, please help me understand what I'm reading. And at this, I, by a miracle, I'd be able to understand it. <laughs> and at the same time, I was reading Shakespeare in high school and they're, it was written in the like same way, and I would read Shakespeare, and I'm like, I don't even know what just happened. Who's Macbeth? <laughs> and, and then I would read the Bible written in the same way, and I'd, it's like God just spoke it into my heart in a miraculous way. And, and so even though now, what's up, Julian? Even though now, isn't Sarah so amazing? She went to go pick up our son from football practice so that we can be here. That's our son. He just made a gun to his head as if he shot himself. Wow. Um, Sarah, thank you so much for doing that. You are the most amazing person. Honestly. Now, Julian, oh, come, come and sit down with us so that you can enjoy the rest of the Bible study. Um, Honestly. She just listened. She's on crack. And so the reason I wanted to just share a little bit about the old King James um, is that even though now, I do not recommend any human being to read the Old King James Version Bible. And I think that those who are Old King James only believers are foolish. But even with that being said, I was saved. I gave my life to Christ when I started reading the Old King James Version Bible. And so in no way am I suggesting is that it's not able to be used to edify the people of God. That the power of God is not diminished through the Old King James Version Bible, I just don't recommend it for practical sake. Sam, out. I just don't recommend it for practical sake. Y'all, y'all dig what I'm saying? Y'all feel me in that? And so, to, so I have, there's, there's dozens and dozens of different translations, um, but I wanted to just show you a couple. And so up on the screen, I have the, the King James Version Bible, the, I have the NIV, which is the New International Version. I have the NLT, the New Living Translation. And I have the NASB, the New American Standard Bible. I've read all four of these versions. I've read through um, uh, ESV in the New Testament. I haven't read through the Old Testament in the ESV. Um, I've read through the Message Version. Um, and these four though are kind of uh, besides the ESV not being on here these are kind of the four most talked about ones besides again besides the ESV um, which the ESV is is a lot very similar to the NIV that's why I didn't put it up there um, and so the King James Version was was published in 1611 think about that it was published in 1611 how advanced was our technology then? We didn't have presidents. We didn't even have democracy then. 
Think about that. We didn't even have democracy. It was just right before that time that a Christian was burned at the stake for translating the Latin Bible into English. And this, this date is what people were relying on as being the only version that you could read. And so to me, again, I'm just trying to point out that this is ridiculous, guys. <laughs> like, and what's even more, um, what's more astounding is that there's actually been many hundreds and hundreds of manuscripts that of biblical books have been discovered in recent centuries and that which which are the which are older than the manuscripts that were translated by those who translated KGV in 1611 and so what that means is the the script the manuscripts that were available at the time that were discovered for the translation of the King James Version Bible were dated back, uh, let's say dated back to, uh, um, I'm trying to think of a good analogy, but they were dated back so far. And in recent centuries, we have manuscripts that dated back farther than what King James Version, uh, those King James Versions were found. And so when, when translating, you always go with the oldest text because it would be more accurate than the newer text. It's like the idea of what I shared at the beginning that who would you, who would you rather trust, trust about the creation account of Genesis? Would you rather trust Moses or Adam? You would trust Adam, right? Because he was there. He was more, it, would you rather trust Seth or Moses? Because he was right there. He was closer to his dad. Would you rather trust Methuselah? I'm starting to get a little more detailed, right? (laughs) Or would you rather trust Moses? Methuselah, right? (laughs) Would you rather trust Enoch? Or would you rather trust Moses? Again, I'm just going through. See, y'all don't, y'all skip the genealogical parts, right? Uh Uh-huh, that's what happened there. That's why y'all didn't know what I was talking about. But the point I'm making is, you, it's so much more accurate the farther you go back, the closer in time you're at that point of reference. And so we have, new, we have these manuscripts that have been discovered, hundreds, that date back farther than King James Version. And that's why like King James advocates, they say, well, these newer versions don't even have certain scriptures in there. How come... We have, we have entire verses and chapters that the, the newer manuscripts don't have. It's because the newer manu- when, uh, that the new versions of the Bible go back farther. And since they don't include those verses, they would rather be accurate rather than traditional. Does that make sense? We'd rather be accurate than traditional. And just uh, like there, there's so, uh, and that's why um, the, the argument that King James advocates have is that, well, that was, uh, maybe that was God inspiring those people who translated to give the proper uh, editorial to the originals. They're saying that the, those who wrote King James, that God inspired them right then to write what they wrote rather than the, the manuscripts that dated back older. And even though that is possible, that's a, that's a step of faith that you have to make. And when it comes to the word of God, we need to be kind of logical at some things. 
we're, we're all basing this off of faith, but we, we want to have sure things. And, and so now we look at 1611. Now we look at the NIV. It was published in 1978, and it was updated in 2011. Updated in 2011. That's a very, uh, that's one of the most recent, um, most when it comes to well-known versions, that's one of the most recent updated versions. And I mean, I don't know about you, but like when I use a dial-up phone, like if I have a flip phone and an iPhone, which has more like, which has more accuracy in so many different ways, even just in texting. If I receive a text, it's like, it's just different, you know, like, it's not that newer is better, but you always want like the best update because there's, there's so much more accuracy when it comes to it. Um, then you have the NLT, the New Living Translation, which um, is published in 1996. And so the NLT was published more recently than NIV, but it was updated last in 2004 and 2007. And the NLT was actually originally going to be a revision of the Living Translation, but uh, but ended up becoming a whole new version because of how um, because of the manuscripts being discovered and things like that, and so it became its own version itself. And then you have the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, which is published in 1963. So this is the oldest one besides the Old King James, and is updated in 1995. Now, the most, for me, the most common ones I use is the NLT. I, that's my go-to, NLT. My secondary is NIV. And I, I've actually been wanting personally to go back to the NASB because I've read it just once through one year. But I wanted to go through it again. But the King James Version, that's probably a version I'm never going to go back to. Because why, why would I go through, does it not take energy to read the bible yeah. just the nlt yeah. okay. it takes energy to comprehend what you're you're learning mm-hmm. and it takes so much more energy to decipher something first before you can let it sink into your spirit mm-hmm. and it's just to me it's just wasteful of energy when you could be just understanding something so much quicker y'all feel what i'm getting at mm-hmm. um and and just as like for for um, for the sake, the NLT is di- dynamic equivalence, meaning that's the thought for thought. NASB is word for word, and so I, I'm telling you, I've read both versions. I've read the dynamic. I've read the formal. Read word for word. I've read thought for thought. I'm telling you, it's the same thing. I, it, for when I read the NASB, I didn't skip a beat. I didn't. My faith didn't change. I didn't all of a sudden like, oh my gosh, like Jesus is different here than in the NLT. It was the same guy. It's the same thing. And there's the the differences are so minute that it's really nothing to make a big deal over. It's not anything to make a fuss about at all. And the. Uh, I I guess like more recently I've been more passionate about translations um, because uh, attacks against them. But all that being said, do you guys feel like you've learned something from today? Oh yeah. Wasn't it between the NIV, NLT, and the NLT? 
What are the differences between like the NIV and the NLT? Well, that's that's kind of another topic. They're different publishers, and so um, when it comes, you're saying like, is the NIV dynamic or um, formal? Um, is it word yeah, for like word? Yeah, like why is there a need for two separate? Like I get they're different yeah. publishers, but like why? And so there's there's a there's a lucrative explanation, and then there's a, a practical explanation. The practical explanation is just the is just like what we read up at the beginning of that there's thousands of manuscripts to be translated and being in a free world we have the ability to translate um, where we have the ability to translate these manuscripts and and produce and, and give an, uh, what we believe to be an accurate account of scripture and it's good to have diversity in translations we should be so happy that there's new translations being made all the time because it's not that the scripture is being watered down more and more. It's that we have, uh, we have so much more um, like checks and balances with these different translations where if one was able to come up with one and said something so off, we have you know, a dozen others saying like, whoa, like this, is, this, is, um, this is heresy. This is inaccurate. And so it's good to have multiple and now the simple lucrative part of it, there's uh, a lot of publishing. The Bible is the number one sold book in the world. And so there's, there's secular um, uh, publishers that, that pay people to, to um, and not every, not every publisher, not every, um, not every publisher, not every even translator is a Christian. Um, they, and because it's a lucrative industry to where um, the most sold Bible, uh, the most sold book in the world, um, there's a lot. The reason, one of the reasons we see so many publishing companies now is because of the lucrative investment of being able to have a book that's going to be sold. Yeah. Um, but again, like that's a, a lucrative aspect of it. That's a business idea of it. But there's, again, it's something that we should not be, we should not frown upon because it benefits us. It's one thing if it was like um, malicious in our faith, but it's not. It's benefiting to our faith. It's like uh, missionaries that have non-believers donate to them. Well, shoot, like I'll, if someone, if a non-believer donated to me, if an atheist donated to our church, I would cash that check. (laughs) I benefit from it. And in the same way, a publisher, if they're if they're doing something and they're not Christians, that doesn't mean oh well we can't read that translation. No, it's still benefiting to our faith. Mm-hmm. Y'all dig all that? Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Cool. Anyone else have any thoughts, questions, comments? Well, did you guys like today? Did y'all did y'all enjoy this Bible study? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm so glad that you guys were a part. Um, for those of y'all listening on the recording, I'm going to end right now. Thank y'all. We love you so much. Um, hope to see you next time.